Dunhuang. Situated along the ancient Silk Road, where fine arts and divine beliefs merged with the natural world. It's where the East and West interacted and where the world's largest Buddhist art gallery still fascinates and amazes people today. A place where stories of life and death, love and hatred, passion and desire, faith and sacrifice have been generated and told for 2,000 years. Buckle up for our podcast, Why We Love Dunhuang, the one and only podcast that can take you to the fantasy world of Dunhuang and beyond through our audio tour. Listen and subscribe for free on major podcast platforms. Why we love Dunhuang? You will have your answers. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Yang. I'm joined by Xing Yu in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, live stream shopping blends entertainment with instant purchasing, and it offers retailers, brands, and digital platforms an important channel to create value. That has been the case here in China for a few years. Now, high return rates from these sales channels tell a different story of live stream shopping. And we'll have a heart-to-heart -heart with you. You bring the questions and we provide the answers. You can get your question on the show by sending us a voice memo or email to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Your voice could be featured in our heart-to-heart -heart segment. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. Now on Roundtable as we continue today's discussion. Live stream shopping or live shopping allows viewers to shop online in real time. The consumer can interact with hosts and make purchases on the spot. It has become a habit for China's online shoppers and a significant part of the e-commerce business in recent years. Users of live streaming e-commerce platforms have reached 469 million in the country by June 2022. While live shopping has clear advantages, it also raises concerns for its high return rates. Research shows that the return rate of live stream e-commerce is much higher than that of traditional e-commerce. So how much higher are we talking about here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, recently, the high return rate on live stream e-commerce platforms has made news headlines. On the Chinese social media platform Weibo, the topic of 90% return rate for jewelry products on Douyin triggered discussions, gaining over... 130 million views. For those who don't know, Douyin is a short video platform in China, equivalent of TikTok, and the platform now also offers live stream shopping services. Um, the topic derived from a post published by a jewelry business owner saying its live stream e-commerce business is absurd as the return rate during the previous shopping festival in June reached 90%. I don't know what went wrong there, <laughs> but it's extremely high. And I think this might be an individual case, but the, the higher return rate of live stream e-commerce than traditional online shopping has caught many people's attention. According to previous industry report in 2020, the average return rate of live stream e-commerce sector is between 
30 and 50 percent higher than that of traditional e-commerce, which lies between 10 and 15 percent. Hmm, interesting. Mm. But you said people are shopping for jewelry online. <laughs> that immediately just doesn't sound right. You know, you, you buy like cheap stuff online that I can bear oh, with, but that, not expensive stuff. Yeah, that can explain <laughs> why the return rate is 90 percent high. <laughs> yeah. Josh, when we talk about live shopping, does that conjure old school QVC tele? shopping related associations i mean well tell us what is it like in the uk has live stream shopping arrived yeah definitely i don't think the practice is as widespread mm. as it is in china it definitely isn't looking at the figures um and also just taking into consideration how dominant e-commerce is in china um but still there's a growing popularity in the uk i think that Several retailers and brands, many retailers and brands have started experimenting with live shopping formats, um, especially it was accelerated, especially during COVID-19. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think in the UK, we, we still have this connotation somewhat negative to things like QVC, um, which I, I know I never really watched uh, when I was growing up. But I mean, even just thinking about it makes me feel kind of nauseous for some reason why um, isn't it just watching of, tv uh, and you call in to buy so that much mop jewelry or and like just the selling of this jewelry <laughs> and about how and and just the anxiety of trying to get this product and also i kind of remember my grandmother having it on when i was growing <laughs> up and feeling quite sad about that and yeah the whole thing's just pretty sad i think so maybe that's why it's not garnered as much popularity in the UK. <laughs> but why is it sad? I think essentially what you're describing here, Josh, in the telephone era and the online internet live stream shopping era, there are a lot of shared characteristics. But why is it that here in China, like we don't, yeah, like tr traditional television marketing sales might be a little cringeworthy sometimes, but with the online live stream selling stuff, nobody thinks that's tacky or sad mm. or anything like that. Or, well, sometimes it can get a little bit tacky as well. But anyway, it depends on what kind of product you're selling and also who your target audience is. Yeah, personally, I'm not a live stream shopper. I haven't purchased anything <laughs> through live stream e-commerce platforms. I think one of the reasons is that I somehow missed the beginning when the live stream shopping took off in China. So I kind of didn't follow the sheep flock. So now the business is so developed and diverse and I don't know how I can do it now <laughs> and or which platform I should go to. And the second reason is I usually have a target when I online shop. I have something in my mind that I want to buy. But during a live stream selling, it's usually they have a list of products they, they want to sell. And sometimes you don't know if there's anything you want, or sometimes you have to wait for some time until the product you want is being sold. So for me, it feels like a, a waste of time. So yeah, that's not my thing. Well, that's 
perfectly fine. You are the black sheep of the crowd. And and, and that's... Nope, yeah, I'm with you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, for discussion's sake, then I have to follow the pack then. You know what? <laughs> Online shopping. <laughs> yeah, but... Live stream shopping has its merits. For example, mm. well, you could be anywhere and you could be tuning in. And if you follow one of these live streaming hosts that somehow you feel you're connected with ah. and i think that's essentially what they're trying to do they're trying to sell you stuff with this kind of intimate connection and then once you once they've gained your trust and then they just tell you this is good that is good <laughs> yeah. and then you just start buying stuff and some of you might be like happy doing the research for shopping all kinds of stuff but i'm like a really lazy person and if let's say i have a trusted channel or a person who oh. has great taste who i don't mind following that person's recommendations then i think it saves a lot of the research work and hmm. the comparing of prices and qualities and those kind of things yeah and josh to give you an idea of how massive this live stream selling is let me give you some numbers so you know the high-end department store in beijing skp it racked up over 17 billion yuan or around 2.7 billion us dollars in sales in 2020 and that outpaced british department store harrods pre-pandemic performance and okay so that's one shopping mall and bear with me, wow. the top live streaming host of that year, 2020, achieved 20 billion yuan, just one wow. person, her sales all over the year, of the whole year. And it was 2.7 billion yuan more than SKP. So, wow. you know, that, crazy. that is just crazy. And um, yeah, that she's no... Yeah, and it takes some special skills and chops to pull this off. It's not just any Joe Schmo who um, walks in front of a camera and can start doing this. Yeah, so now we're seeing, though, that return <laughs> rates can be very high. Yeah. And what is it about mm. live stream that makes people realize, well, actually, this isn't what I really want. And heaven forbid, I yeah. can return it. I think one of the reasons can be attributed to how live shopping functions. For traditional online shopping, you are processing all these product information by yourself and you have time to think and make decisions. But in this fast paced live stream shopping, they leave you very limited time to purchase things. And these hosts, they often uh, have these persuasive techniques and this interactive engagement to tempt these purchases. So when you make quick decisions without fully thinking, is it necessary? Do I want it? Is the quality good? And then these impulsive decisions are very likely to result in future regrets, I think. Mm. Mm. So when Chinese internet users first got acquainted with live stream shopping a few years ago, it was said to be a more sustainable way of shopping in the sense that, here's the logic, you are able to communicate with the streaming host in real time. Therefore, you're supposed to be more sure about your purchase and that leads to less returns. But as we've brought up 
the return rates are really high now when we look at the figures. So yeah, Josh, how would you explain this situation? I think there's a lot of reasons for this. I think one of them is impulse buying. I think for me, that's probably the biggest one, which of course, if you're buying impulsively, it means that you're not thinking it through, you're buying it very fast. And I think that this is definitely a contributor to this massive return rate. I think that live shopping in particular is designed with this sense of urgency. And this is why earlier you asked me why when I think back to these live shopping TV shows that I saw when I was younger, why do they make me sad? Well, I think it's, and when I think about my elderly relatives watching them, it's because there's this sense of urgency and encouragement to buy impulsively. And I think that this of course is gonna result with people receiving products that they don't really need, or mm. in the case of clothing, there's also sizing and fitting concerns, which obviously is gonna result in a lot of returns, right? Mm. If the apparel is not properly fitted because you've bought it too impulsively, and we know these days that clothing can be really fit in pretty much a customized way. And if you're just buying it on impulse, I mean, even if you go on e-commerce sites, you can get a lot of clothing these days that are fitted quite accurately. They have these tables and you can even contact them and speak to them directly one-on-one, -on -one, tell them your weight, your size, um, other measurements, and they'll tell you the size of clothing. I know I have to do that in China because I'm quite tall and there's not a lot of clothing that fits me. E-commerce, sorry, live shopping doesn't really encourage this, right? So I, I think this is another big reason. Mm. Isn't that a big reason for all online shopping, though? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, that's true. Yeah, yeah um, I, I did some research on this psychological trick of people's mind when they are purchasing things online. And uh, this Israeli-American psychologist, Daniel Kahneman, put forward these two modes of thought. One is fast, instinctive and emotional thinking, and the other is um, slower, more deliberative and more logical thinking. So I think most of the time, fast thinking is at play when you are live stream shopping. So that is one of the evidence uh, about what Josh says about the impulse buying, I think. Hmm. And also, don't you think that we're kind of spoiled by the return policy? Because with e-commerce, in general, I think, and definitely, certainly with live stream purchasing, that is, if you don't like it, you can always return it. And also, sometimes uh, here in China, you need to pay for the shipping, shipping fee. Yeah. But sometimes you don't. Yeah. And it's really fascinating. Yeah, I think. Is that the right word to say? Um, you, like you and your friends, you must have heard of this. That is, oh, it's okay. I'll just buy it first and I'll just return it later if I don't like it. Oh. And then people do it. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why this return rates is getting higher because the services, businesses, they're providing very uh, easier ways for you to return these products that you don't like. And I've also noticed a small change in me over the past decade of online shopping. Um, I think when it comes to returning what you've purchased, when I was much younger, I bought some clothes, let's say, even though I am not so satisfied with it, I don't like it. And 
it's not quite what I had imagined, but most of the time I would just keep the clothes and I don't want to go through the whole process of returning the product. Just felt so troublesome. But mm. now things have changed. It's just, <laughs> just easy. And also, you just don't want to keep the things that you don't really like and to see the clothes you wouldn't wear and are still hanging in your wardrobe for, for ages, I think. And so now when I online shop, I would spend more time on browsing through the information and reading the comments and be more cautious when I make an order. And when the things that I purchase doesn't really fit or I don't like, then I would just return it without hesitation. Hmm. Interesting. That's one thing, I guess my mentality just never changed. <laughs> yeah, I hate to return stuff. Yeah. I think out of the many purchases, well, I'm also I'm not an avid sh online shopper anyway. I might have only just returned stuff like twice in my shopping history. Really? <laughs> Cuz I just hate the idea of returning something I bought online and sometimes it's like a small small mm, thing like right. a like a new like a what? yeah, I know I, I got that and uh, I didn't need it anyway. So it's like a very tiny battery that is as big as my thumbnail, Josh. That's the best translation I have here. <laughs> anyway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, okay, so the thing that really bothers me is the carbon footprint that is created on the return journey back to the seller. And it's not like I'm purer than the driven snow, okay? I drive to work and I feel bad about that. But there's just something about the return policy that really bothers me and I refuse to use it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and these days apparently making the right purchase online is just more difficult. Apparently because, well, the filters are just so good that <laughs> they mask what the real thing is and uh that's a problem right yeah how the products are presented through these screens may influence the purchases as well and there's a case i think is quite interesting a xiaohongshu a chinese lifestyle sharing platform one influencer on this platform posted videos that were deemed as potentially false advertising by the China Consumers Association. And the influencer was recommending a skincare product. Mm -hmm. And he's exaggerating its, I think it's exaggerating its ability to enhance skin brightness and whiteness. So in this video, her skin appeared dull at first and then magically became bright after using the product. And the videos were suggested to have used filters to achieve that kind of effect to, I think, to mislead consumers on the effects of the product. Yes. And for cosmetic products, using really strong filters can easily significantly enhance its effects and it's false advertising and well yeah like everybody who's used filter and i think <laughs> that's everybody really and um you know with just one click and then immediately your skin condition oh, is right. moved over a million times and yeah that is i, I think that's a cheap one but yes aside from the uh, cosmetics jewelry and apparel sectors have also seen the most use of these live stream filters. And they are just 
pretty high tech in my opinion because mm. um, these are filters for videos and it's almost impossible to detect using your naked eye. Josh, do you think this is false advertising? Do you think this should be banned? I'm just joking. What do you think? Um, I think that it is false advertising to some degree. Um, I think that it's really difficult to regulate this kind of mm. thing. I think maybe near near impossible to do so. So in that regard, I mean, false advertising is is a crime. So I'm not sure if I would equate it completely to false advertising, but I think it's sort of you know augmenting the truth a little bit. And um, I mean, that's what advertising is, isn't it? But when it comes to things like jewelry, which of course is priced, um, it, it's worth is based on its quality, which is really difficult to to see unless it's up close mm. when you have it. And even then you sometimes need an expert to verify the quality, right? It's um, difficult for the consumer to know this. Um, I, I think that there is possibly some responsibility there. And I think that it is maybe false advertising. Yeah, and Chinese law actually stipulates that consumers have the right to know the true features of these products when purchasing. And information provided by these operators should provide these truthful and comprehensive information uh, without misleading these customers. But I think um, we still have some more to do in terms of revising this China's e-commerce law. Yeah, I'd say ban all filters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about banning stuff today. <laughs> no filters are allowed to be used during all live streams. Well, you heard it from one person. And coming up next, let's have a moment of heart to heart. You ask. We answer. Roundtable. Heart to heart. This week we have a long-time listener speaking to us again. Hello, Roundtable. I'm Uncle Fong. It's so happy to join the Heart to Heart segment again. I just came back from the UK, and I can't help to share my travel experience with you guys. I spent nearly half months in the UK. During the time, I went to visit London, Edinburgh, and Manchester. Oh, there is one thing I must share with Josh. I got a chance to watch the football game in Old Trafford, which is my favorite team, Man United's home stadium. The experience was so amazing, because I used to watch football game on TV. However, this time, I can sit in the stadium. And those familiar players were just in front of me. That feeling, I would say, only Josh, as a football fan, can resonate with me. Also, this trip has changed my attitude toward London. I used to think that people in London were indifferent, cause people in metropolis are always busy. However, I was wrong. Every person I met in London was so nice and warm. They helped me a lot during my days in London. I really miss my days in the UK. I plan to visit there again next year. So, Josh, as a local, do you have any other cities to recommend? Maybe some hidden gem cities. And I know Heya has studied in the UK before. 
I'm curious. What is your favorite part about the UK? For me, the answer may be football, music, or architecture. Hope to hear guys' answer soon, and all the best wish to Roundtable team. Thank you so much, Uncle Fong. It's been six, seven, eight years. I, I can't remember when the last time it was that you spoke with us, but you send us messages from time to time. So it's so great to hear from you again. And Josh, probably it's important to note: Do you? Support the same football club as Uncle Fung. That might determine the tone of your answer. Okay, let's hear what you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Uncle Fung, for your message. And no, I I don't support Manchester United, <laughs> and I've I've never been to Old Trafford. But I must say, I, I used to、um, really support the rival. I still do love Liverpool,、um, who play at Anfield,、um, but. I, I must admit, as I've gotten older,、um, I've started to invest more of my support, almost all of my support, in my hometown team, which is Scarborough. Which you were asking about hidden gems, and I must say that that is a hidden gem that you have to check out. So, yeah, I've I've found that as I've gotten better work, and that I I you know it's a team-owned club, and actually my hometown team, so it's, it has a lot of opportunities to get involved. Um, I have a lot of opportunities to get involved, as does everybody in the town. So I'm not as invested anymore. And although、um, my favourite Premiership team is Liverpool,、uh, who is Manchester United's rival, I don't hold anything against you for being a Manchester United <laughs> fan.、Um, to come to the second part of your question about the hidden gems,、um, I, I agree with you about London. I, I'm not a Londoner at all, even though I lived in London.、Um, I think that. I have to say I'm biased because I'm from the north of England, but the north, as you may have heard, is one of the most beautiful parts of the country, arguably the most beautiful part of England. Anyway, it, the, basically, the further north you go in the UK, I would argue, the more stunning the nature is. And、uh, I'm sure many people would disagree with me on this, but this is just my opinion. Okay, and I think that if you can visit some cities. Above Oxford, above Birmingham, such as York, and if you go to the northeast, Yorkshire Moors to Dolby Forest, along the coast to little towns like Whitby and Scarborough, you're going to see some really incredible architecture and stunning geographical feats. Thank you for your call, Huyang. Do you agree with me? <laughs> What is your opinion? I always agree with you. No, I don't.、Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> And Josh, I do agree with what you just said, but also one thing for an international tourist might find a little bit, tiny bit difficult. That is, the northern you get in England on the map you just mentioned, isn't the accent increasingly more difficult for us to understand? Yes,、yeah. I mean, I guess that the accent is more different from the accent that the BBC English that you're maybe used to hearing and that you've been, that you've grown up learning if you learned British English. So yes. That's definitely true, as is the case in in most countries. But also, if you want to go to those places, those、um, gems, as you like, the non-touristy areas, then usually in most countries, that's where you're going to find the non-standard versions or the thicker accents. Right? It's the same in China.、Hmm. Interesting. And to answer your question, Uncle Fung, I love the fashion that comes out of 
the UK and also big political theory thinkers, a lot of the literature and also the history. I find to be just really interesting to read about, to learn more about, and then just the more you know about the world, the better you understand yourself and your own country and offer you a different kind of experience and also strand of thought of what kind of um, future you want for yourself and maybe your fellow citizens or, okay, and maybe the people around you or whatnot. So I think traveling is definitely a great thing to have in life and seize the opportunity when you can. Yeah, I spent almost a year in UK for my master's program at University of Leeds. And I think that year still remains one of the most memorable periods in my life. And listening to Uncle Feng's voice memo just brought all the memories back to me. Yeah, yeah lovely. And can I just say... I know we're short of time, but one last note here is that we've got some really friendly Beijingers here as well, you know, and just, just put that in. <laughs> if you like what you hear, please send us your question or comment to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. And that brings us to the end of today's roundtable. Thank you so much, Josh Cotterall and Xingyu for joining the discussion. I'm Ha Young. We'll see you next time. <laughs>